good day. I'm Martin Webb, and welcome to the Climate Report for Thursday, November 25th, 2021. Broadcasting and podcasting here on KVMR-FM and at kvmr.org every second and fourth Thursday at 6.30 p.m. For the listener, the primary purpose of the Climate Report is to raise awareness and provide ideas for solutions without resorting to direct advocacy of specific actions or positions, which runs afoul of our community broadcaster's license. We can't say, don't support these companies, but we can read news about which companies are the worst polluters and most recalcitrant to change, whether that's a certain gas station near you or a credit card in your wallet, and we leave you to your own decisions. We can't say, here's what you should do. But we can talk about the growing awareness of things like food waste or the direct impacts of reducing consumption. At the same time, as with any seemingly objective news program, we do get to select which issues and news to focus on, and that alone creates its own narrative and lens for a viewpoint. What might sound like a depressing corporate news piece to some can be a call to boycott action for others. What might sound like an obscure goal of reducing emissions by a set amount this decade, seemingly intended for some policymaker or corporation, can also be heard as an instruction to set personal deadlines. With that in mind, here are today's climate news headlines. Super polluters, the top 10 publishers denying the climate crisis on Facebook. Misinformation about the climate crisis runs rampant on Facebook, a new study has found, and comes mostly from a handful of super-polluter publishers. Only 10 publishers are responsible for 69% of digital climate change denial content on Facebook, a new study from the Center for Countering Digital Hate has found. The outlets, which the report labels the Toxic 10, includes several conservative websites in the U.S., as well as Russian state media. Here are the top Toxic 10 super polluters, responsible for almost three-fourths of the climate change denial content on Facebook. Breitbart, a far-right news site once run by former Trump strategist Steve Bannon. Western Journal, a conservative news site. Newsmax, which has previously been sued for promoting election fraud conspiracies. Town Hall Media, founded by the Exxon-funded Heritage Foundation. The Media Research Center, a think tank that receives funding from Exxon. The Washington Times, founded by self-proclaimed messiah Sun Myung Moon. The Federalist Papers, a site that has promoted COVID misinformation. The Daily Wire, a conservative news site that is one of the most engaged with publishers on Facebook. The Patriot Post, a conservative site whose writers use pseudonyms. And then outside the U.S., Russian state media, pushing climate disinformation via RT.com and Sputnik News. The Center for Countering Digital Hate used NewsWhip, a social media analytics tool, to analyze almost 7,000 climate crisis denial articles that were featured in Facebook posts in the last year. Along those same lines, in a different study, 
climate misinformation on Facebook is increasing substantially. A new analysis reveals that thousands of climate misinformation posts received above 1 million views every day. The scale of climate misinformation on Facebook is, quote, staggering and, quote, increasing quite substantially, a new analysis of thousands of posts has found. It's a report that was just released this past month by the Real Facebook Oversight Board, an independent watchdog group, as well as the environmental nonprofit Stop Funding Heat. They analyzed a data set of more than 195 separate Facebook pages and groups, and they found an estimated 45,000 posts either downplaying or denying the climate crisis, which received a combined total of over 1 million views. Researchers said this is where the ambitions of the COP26 and the revelations of the Facebook papers collide, with our data showing Facebook is among the world's biggest purveyors of climate disinformation. The study analyzed almost 200 pages known to distribute misinformation about the climate crisis using Facebook's own analytics tool, CrowdTangle. Out of those 200 pages, 41 were considered single-issue pages with just one focus on the climate. That means the majority of them were multiple-issue pages. Of the 41 single-issue anti-climate crisis pages, they came with names like Climate Change is Natural, Climate Change is Crap, and Climate Realism. These groups primarily share memes denying climate change exists and deriding politicians who are attempting to address it through legislation. Unfortunately, according to researchers, this rampant spread of climate misinformation is actually getting substantially worse. Interactions per post in the data that they monitored have increased 77% in the last year. And just like the previous study that showed that a small number of pages are funding the majority of content also found that only seven pages are funding 78% of the advertising content for climate disinformation. We'll file this next tidbit under we don't need more technology or more money, we just have some decisions to make. This says here that global pollution price could cut greenhouse gases by 12%, according to a report from the World Economic Forum. That's right, doesn't require any extra technology or printing more money to knock greenhouse gases by 12%, just tax carbon emitters. It says that creating an international price for carbon emissions could instantly reduce global greenhouse gases by 12% and done at a cost of less than 1% of global GDP, according to a new report from the World Economic Forum. The report found that if global governments agreed together to set a price for pollution to help cut carbon emissions, the cost would be less than the losses triggered by the fallout of a runaway climate crisis. The carbon revenues raked into government coffers with such a global pollution tax would also be used to help hard-pressed households or plowed back into green industries to help reduce emissions while creating jobs and economic growth, the report found. Well, in the black box part of the energy climate world, this is some interesting news not a lot of people have heard about. It's the Energy Charter Treaty. It's a secretive court system. 
and it poses perhaps a grave threat to the Paris climate deal, according to a whistleblower. It's a treaty that allows energy corporations to sue governments for billions of dollars over policies that hurt their profits. A secretive investor court system poses a real threat to the Paris Climate Agreement. Activists have said as governments taking action to phase out fossil fuels face a slew of multi-million dollar lawsuits for lost fossil fuel profits. New data seen by The Guardian shows a surge in cases under the Energy Charter Treaty, the ECT, an obscure international agreement that allows energy corporations to sue governments over policies that could hurt their profits. Coal and oil investors are already suing governments for several billions in compensation for lost profits over energy policy changes. For example, the German energy company RWE is suing the entire country of the Netherlands over a billion euros over its plans to phase out coal. While another corporation, Rockhopper Exploration, based in the UK, is suing the Italian government after it banned new drilling near its coast. It's a real threat to the Paris Agreement. It's the biggest threat I am aware of, said Yamina Saheb, a former employee of the Energy Charter Treaty Secretariat, who quit in 2018 to raise the alarm. Said Saheb, also a co-author of the Intergovernment Panel on Climate Change Report on Climate Mitigation, she says the Paris Agreement means that we need to decarbonize in the current decade before 2030. But she has estimated that foreign investors could sue governments around the world for 1.3 trillion euros between now and 2030 in compensation for early closure of coal, oil, and gas plants. Well, that amount, 1.3 trillion euros, is a sum that exceeds what the entire European Union hopes to spend on its Green Deal in the next decade. As compensation to companies is paid by public funds, governments would then have less money to pay for new technology to make buildings, transport, and energy greener. The Energy Charter Treaty was signed back in 1994 to protect the interests of Western investors pouring money into the oil and gas-rich nations of the former Soviet Union. It didn't enter into force until 1998, and the treaty generated few cases and even less attention. That all changed in 2014. Critics say this mysterious system is a black box. Hearings happen in private. And investors are not even obliged to reveal the amount of damages they are seeking. So far, the court has decided in favor of investors in 49% of the time, and in favor of defending governments and states with their anti-fossil fuel policies in 39% of cases. All of these rulings are made behind closed doors. But other vital cases on the world's energy future may be completely unknown, the ECT Secretariat in Brussels has counted 142 cases under the treaty since the first one in 2001, but the true number is certainly higher because investors have no obligation to disclose the existence of a case, even to the ECT's own secretariat. Who belongs to the secret tribunal that rewards energy companies for shutting down operations? Most of the ECT's 54 members are in Europe 
the Balkans, and Central Asia, although Turkey, Japan, and Australia are also among the signatories. The EU used to champion the treaty, but increasingly finds it problematic. As the climate crisis unfolds and continues, it's important to pay attention to different research and reports and studies as a dashboard to what's going on and who's doing what. Here are some information on the worst lobbying offenders holding back climate action. U.S. oil giants top that list of lobbying offenders, but you almost you might also be surprised at what car company is at the top of the list. ExxonMobil and Chevron are the world's most obstructive organizations when it comes to governments setting climate policies. According to research into the prolific and highly sophisticated lobbying ploys used by the fossil fuel industry. The biggest U.S. oil companies, as well as the American Petroleum Institute, a lobby group, were found to be the worst offenders in a global report by lobbying experts at the think tank Influence Map. It concluded that companies were manipulating governments to take incredibly dangerous paths in their approach to climate action. Oil giants have mounted intense resistance to Joe Biden's green agenda, according to the report, as the U.S. president's administration attempted to shift the country away from fossil fuels. Toyota was the worst-ranked car maker and the third company overall on the planet in the report, which drew from more than 50,000 pieces of evidence covering hundreds of the world's most significant firms and trade groups to analyze corporate climate lobbying activities. The report put Toyota among some of the worst polluting companies in the world because of its opposition to phase-out deadlines for fossil fuel and hybrid vehicles. In other dashboard notes, a reality check as global CO2 emissions are shooting back to record levels. Fossil fuels are surging in the post-pandemic recovery as scientists warn that hitting our 1.5 degrees Celsius emission limits will likely be reached within 11 years. The emissions driving the climate crisis reached their highest ever levels in 2019, before global coronavirus lockdowns saw them fall by 5%. However, fossil fuel burning has surged faster than expected in 2021, the international research team said, in stark contrast to the rapid cuts that are needed to tackle global heating. The data shows world leaders have failed to build back greener, with just a small proportion of pandemic spending going to sustainable sectors. The Global Carbon Project report shows emissions from coal and gas jumping this year by more than what they fell last year. Oil use is also rising this year, but more slowly because transportation activity still remains below normal. Renewables were the only energy source that continued to grow during the pandemic. However, it was just a brief one-year downturn for fossil fuels. Scientists said that 2022 could set a new record for global emissions, depending on the expected increase in oil consumption as travel recovers further. The world's carbon budget is the total emissions allowed in order to retain at least a 50% chance of keeping global temperature rise below 1.5 degrees Celsius. But analysis shows that this 50-50 chance will be blown in 11 years if the current rate of emissions continues.
in more dashboard climate feedback news, the world is being urged to slash natural gas use by a third over the next decade to avoid climate disaster. Gas is the new coal, says a climate analytics report that finds it is the fastest growing source of carbon dioxide emissions. The escalating rollout of gas for heating, electricity, and cooking is turning it into the new coal, and its use worldwide must be slashed by nearly a third this decade to avoid disastrous climate effects, according to a new report. Natural gas has often been referred to as a bridge fuel, as it emits about half the carbon dioxide of coal, and many countries have embraced it while also promising to transition to renewable energy in the future in order to cut planet heating emissions. But this energy source, which has become easy and cheap to access due to the advance of fracking for its extraction, is still a fossil fuel. And the new analysis finds that it is now the fastest growing source of carbon dioxide emissions on the planet putting the entire world at risk of blowing past dangerous global heating thresholds. According to Bill Hare, chief executive of Climate Analytics and lead author of the new report, quote, natural gas is not a bridging fuel, it is a fossil fuel. Gas is the new coal. Governments, investors, and the financial sector must treat it the same way they do coal, phase it out as soon as possible, end quote. Well, there's an awful lot of corporate pledges being made, and the fossil fuel industries and banks have been touting what they're finally starting to do in regards to the climate crisis. However, greenwashing is also a word that has been dogging them. There's an interesting article in The Guardian as part of Covering Climate Now, a worldwide consortium of over 400 news desks sharing climate action news. This article is titled The Dark Secrets Behind Big Oil's Climate Pledges. Oil companies and the banks that finance them are making empty promises and getting credit for them, too. J.P. Morgan Chase won glowing headlines last year when the Global Investment Bank unveiled a commitment to counter the climate crisis. The press amplified J.P. Morgan's message, sometimes in J.P. Morgan's own words. Fortune published a commentary article trumpeting the bank's plans to, quote, tackle climate change. Six paragraphs into the piece, the writers noted that they worked for the investment firm. They were actually its top executives. But then the bank waited months to actually detail its plans. In May of last year, it finally outlined its goals. J.P. Morgan would not pressure oil companies to lower their emissions. Instead, the firm would encourage them to become more efficient. Such greenwashing, experts say, allows companies to downplay the scale of the climate crisis and continue contributing to the problem. Banks have begun to commit to shrink the carbon footprint of their own internal banking operations, including powering their office buildings. But their biggest contributions to global warming are in the oil and gas companies they finance. The world's 60 largest banks financed nearly $4 trillion in fossil fuel projects just between 2016 and and 2020. That would be since the Paris Agreement. 
In the four years since the Paris Agreement was signed, the world's 60 largest banks offered up $4 trillion to fossil fuel projects. Well, J.P. Morgan is the largest financer of oil and gas projects in the world, according to the report. The U.S.-based bank poured $51 billion into the sector just in 2020. That's right, J.P. Morgan, last year during the pandemic, roughly a billion dollars every single week being poured into oil and gas projects. Remember that number. It's going to come in handy when we talk about the amount of money that the developing countries are needing to try and deal with the effects of climate change. J.P. Morgan last year poured $51 billion into oil and gas. And on the ground, J.P. Morgan is financing some of the most controversial fossil fuel projects, the Coastal Gas Link, a fracked gas pipeline that last year leaked in indigenous territory. It also financed a controversial natural gas export facility in Corpus Christi, Texas. And they also finance Enbridge, which is building the controversial Line 3 pipeline. Well, when it comes to money and finance, there's an awful lot of talk about trying to prevent emissions. But at this point, there's also a lot of talk now starting about how to adapt to the problems that our existing emissions are already creating. And the UN says that countries have failed to adapt for unavoidable climate damage. The COP26 was told that millions of lives are at risk without a focus on preparing for problems that are already inevitable. It says extreme weather driven by climate breakdown is hitting the world with a new ferocity, the UN has said. But countries have so far failed to prepare for the widespread damage that is now inevitable, even if greenhouse gas emissions are reduced. Developing countries are particularly at risk, but they are unable to muster the cash needed to defend their people and resources from flooding, droughts, and sea level rises. They are likely to need between 140 and $300 billion a year by the end of this decade just to cope with the impacts. But in 2019, they received globally only $80 billion in climate finance, which included cash to cut greenhouse gas emissions, not just adapt. So again, $80 billion is what the entire world was able to deliver to the developing nations. They promised at the Paris Agreement, they promised by the year 2020, the entire world, all of the developed rich nations together combined, would be able to deliver $100 billion to developing nations. They couldn't do it. The entire developing world delivered $80 billion. Meanwhile, as a reminder, J.P. Morgan, by themselves, in one year, put in more than $50 billion as one company into global oil and gas operations. Part of the challenge is that it's much more attractive and sexier for wealthy investors to install solar panels and wind farms, which give a clear profit, as opposed to building shelters and seawalls and other means of preparing people for extreme weather, which don't produce a clear profit to anyone other than saving lives. 
Scientists have backed up the United Nations call. One noteworthy quote was from Brian O'Callaghan, the lead researcher at the Oxford University Economic Recovery Project, who has shown that a green recovery from COVID-19 would have generated jobs and economic benefits. He said, COVID-19 recovery spending has so far not prioritized green investment. And more than any other subcategory of green investment, climate adaptation and resilience to what's already baked into the effects needs to be not ignored. By failing to invest in climate adaptation, it seems like we've gone skydiving and decided we don't need a parachute. Well, for our last segment on today's climate report, we're going to talk about parking spaces, which have gotten an awful lot of focus here in our local community. The hidden climate costs of America's free parking spaces. Street parking takes up space and incentivizes driving. New curb management companies are trying to help cities better use this space. The street space occupied by parked cars may not seem like much, but it adds up. The U.S. as a country has an estimated three to four parking spaces for every car. In New York City, the amount of road space reserved for on-street parking is roughly the size of 12 central parks, according to one estimate. And most of the city's 4 million street parking spots are free. Said Daniel Shoup, a transportation professor at the University of California in L.A., the curb lane is some of the most valuable land on earth. I think that's our biggest mistake, just take some of the most valuable land on earth and give it away free to cars. Street parking doesn't just take away space. It can inform how people get around. Said Daniel Firth, the transportation director at C40 Cities, a network of more than 100 cities around the world with ambitious climate goals, parking is one of the things that has a really powerful impact on people's decisions whether to drive or not. Shoup and others have found that underpriced street parking keeps people driving in cities, even in those cities that have good alternative transportation options. More people driving means more city traffic, increasing congestion, and pumping out pollution. But cities that want to price or even convert free street parking face obstacles, and not just from drivers. Most cities don't have enough information about how their curbs are even used, making it difficult to decide how to manage this valuable space. Now, companies offering curb management technology have sprung up to try to fill this gap with promises to help cities reclaim their curbs. Their digital platforms map parking spaces and curb use around cities. The end game is to help cities reduce car numbers, along with congestion, noise, and pollution, while making better use of spaces and still meeting people's mobility needs. The prospect of snagging a free or cheap street parking spot compared with an expensive off-street spot keeps drivers cruising around, said Shoup, who has led surveys of drivers stopped at city traffic lights to ask them why they are driving. In one instance, 68% of the drivers surveyed in a Los Angeles neighborhood were cruising for a parking spot. 68% of the drivers. The availability of free street parking can also inflate car ownership. A study of the four biggest cities in the Netherlands 
found that higher parking costs in the city centers accounted for about a third of the lower car ownership rates compared with the outskirts and suburbs. You can reduce car ownership quite significantly by making parking more expensive or by reducing the amount of parking you build, said Jacob Baskin, the co-founder of Cord, a New York City-based curb management company. Many businesses will reflexibly object to the conversion of free parking spaces in front of their shops, fearing a loss of customers, but often business owners overestimate how much their customers are arriving by car, said Firth. A study in Seattle found that sales revenue increased more than 5% among downtown restaurants after they extended the hours for paid parking. Because more customers were actually coming and going. He said instinctively, everyone is like, if you got rid of free parking, our business will die. That is wrong. Street parking is so ubiquitous that converting it feels like a loss. It is a powerful psychology that makes many resistant to the idea, said Firth. Quote, we value the loss of something much greater than the gain of something else, end quote. That's all for today's Climate Report, broadcasting and podcasting here on KVMR-FM and at kvmr.org every second and fourth Thursday at 6.30 p.m. I'm Martin Webb. For more news and views in between broadcasts, there's also the Climate Report social media Facebook page with daily news updates and the Balance Beam podcast for personal action chats. For questions or comments, feel free to email climatereport at kvmar.org.